Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Off the Bench Podcast. This is episode number 16. Thank you to all who are listening today and hope you all are having a great day. A lot to talk about today. This will be a very interesting episode. Now we're going to talk about football because there have been some recent releases and or cuts that have been made in the NFL. To start off, Commanders cut Carson Wentz after only having him for one year. I believe that was Wentz's third team in three years. You could call it fourth team in four years if you include the Eagles. After his injuries in Philly, his uh, the potential that he really had just hasn't really played out. He had that MVP caliber season before he had that first injury that year when the Eagles went to the Super Bowl. And the year after, was showing more promise, got hurt again. And just after those injuries, it's just gone nothing but down for him. I feel bad for the guy. He really had a lot of promise in the league. But, again, injuries can really set you back a lot. So it'd be it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. Also getting cut from the Buccaneers, reportedly, is Leonard Fournette, who was a crucial part to their Super Bowl win a few years back. Playoff Lenny, Lombardi, Lenny. He would run hard in the playoffs. And then this year he kind of had a down year, especially since they picked up Rashad White from the draft. As a rookie, he didn't play too bad. But I think they're looking more towards the future. And they see Rashad White in their future. They don't see Leonard Fournette. So they had to make the cut. Or else Fournette's salary, I think, would have been a little too much to handle on the books for them. So, again, we'll see where Fournette will take his talents to. Wouldn't be surprised if he ends up with a contender of some sort. So that's just a little bit for football. We'll move on to the NBA. First, we'll start off with Damian Lillard scoring 71 points a few nights back. Very impressive performance from him. They did end up winning too, which puts, how do I say it, a lot of a good... um. I don't really know how to put it into words, but it makes the 71 points look better than as if it were in a loss. Like when Devin Booker scored 70 and they lost to the Celtics in that game. So Dame scores 71. He's the oldest player to score 70 plus points in a game at 32 years old, which, and he's, he's only getting better. It seems like year by year. And he's coming off a recent string of putting up many points per game. So just the 70 point game, just really impressive. He's the eighth player in NBA history with 70 plus points in an NBA game. We all know those names. Whoever is before him, easily Hall of Fame status. He's also one of four players in NBA history to have scored 60 more points in multiple games within a single season. He joins James Harden, Kobe Bryant, and Michael Jordan. Not too bad of a company to be a part of. Lillard now has the sixth highest scoring individual games in Blazers history. I think that could cement him as the greatest Trailblazers player of all time. I mean, who is he going up against? Clyde Drexler and Bill Walton? I'm taking Damian Lillard. And could you also consider him an all-time great shooter as well? Now, Damian Lillard, obviously everyone knows him because of his ability to score and his range. At one point in time, we were calling him Logo Lillard because he just started pulling shots from the logo, and the name stuck. But what I've noticed when he shoots the ball, usually when players are shooting the ball, the ball's coming off of their, not the fi- fingertips, the finger pads, and it's not really resting in the palm. 
So you're not really shooting with the palm of your hand, you're more shooting with your fingers, your finger pads almost. What I see with Dame is that Dame is resting the ball in his palm, and he's shooting more with his palm, which I guess can create a bit more range with your shot since you're when you're shooting with your palm, you're using more of that force from your arm from your shooting arm, which turns into an increased range. And that comes naturally to him, as opposed to some other players where shooting with the palm, it's not a natural movement. That's why they're not really accurate with it. Damon's been doing this this whole time, which is why his he's gotten pretty good with his shots and he can go further back. Now, as a great, all-time great shooter, I'd say yes. But the players I would put above him, obviously Steph Curry, Ray Allen. I'd put Reggie Miller. Clay Thompson, and I would put Larry Bird above Damian Lillard in terms of all-time great shooters. I think Damian Lillard at that would be the sixth best. I think that's perfect. I don't think he's better than either one of the five listed above him. But again, you got to recognize greatness, and Damian Lillard is a great player who should be a Hall of Famer. Moving on from that, we did see the second highest scoring game ever in an NBA game between two teams. This was the Kings and the Clippers. The Kings won 175 to 174 in double overtime. Now, you look at this score and you're thinking, oh, these guys aren't playing defense. They're just taking a lot of shots, which I mean, to score that many points, you have to. But again, no defense, no defense. I took a look at the stats. Let me tell you, men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. The Kings shot 58.6% from the field and 43.9% from three, which those two alone are very good numbers as a team, despite the volume of shots the teams are taking, especially threes now. The Clippers, they lost, right? They shot 60.2% from the field and 57.8% from three, which you look at it from the numbers standpoint, and you're wondering, how did they lose shooting those kinds of percentages? But we'll look at more of the individual performances. The leading scorer of the game, coming off the bench for the Kings, Malik Monk, 45 points. Now, Malik Monk, I remember him back in his college days playing for Kentucky. He was playing with De'Aaron Fox, Bam Adebayo. They had a nice team down there in Kentucky. And he was he was a scorer. He was a one and done player. He went in, he was a lottery pick in the draft. He he could shoot the ball. He could score, pure scorer. I remember he, they played North Carolina, and and I believe he scored some somewhere in the forties. But yes, he he could always score the ball. I'm glad now now um, on the Kings, he's getting a lot more opportunities. I mean, he's not starting, but. I think he's around a great, a great young core in the Kings themselves that where he can really excel. On the other side, for the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, 44 points. You mentioned De'Aaron Fox, 42 points, 12 assists. And then Paul George, 34 points, 10 rebounds. Crazy game. I didn't, personally didn't get to watch it. I just I looked at the box score the next day, and I'm like, holy cow, what just happened? had to dive deeper into it 
but again, a historical game. And from what people are saying that watched it, they said it was an entertaining game too. So I hope we could get at least one more game, um, one more high-scoring game with these types of statistics in terms of percentages. Uh, LeBron injured his right foot, and he may be out for several weeks. That is a huge loss to the Lakers, especially since they're since the trade deadline. They've been playing really good together. They're eyeing that playoff spot, maybe play in. Um, but LeBron, you could argue, is the greatest player of all time. He's thirty six. No, he's thirty eight now. Oh man, man, he's thirty eight years old. He's still balling. He has he's averaging I think thirty po- at least thirty points a game. I don't know what the Lakers are gonna do without him. Several weeks, someone's gonna have to step up. You don't who really would though, to be honest, because the way the Lakers are run, you got LeBron and AD. They're two superstars. You call them is AD? A, I, yeah, you could call AD a superstar. And then just a whole bunch of role players. You surround LeBron with the shooters and other guys that can do other things. And that's how the Lakers win games. That's their game plan every single game. So now without LeBron, one of the facilitators, don't really know what to do. But it's going to be interesting to see how the Lakers adapt to not having LeBron for a few weeks. Another injury, LaMelo fractured his ankle and he's out indefinitely now. Terrible for LaMelo since he's probably done for the year. For the Hornets, doesn't really matter because they are second to last in the East right now. They're, I guess you could say they're in the race for Victor Wembanyama because who wouldn't want a seven foot five big man who could do it all to add to your team, especially that young too? I don't think the Hornets are going to rush him to play just because right now they're not really playing any for anything other than potentially getting the number one overall pick. So I'm assuming LaMelo Ball season is over. And Kevin Durant, I believe he will plan, or not, he's not planning. I think he will play tonight against the Hornets. That's the plan for the Phoenix Suns, for KD to play tonight, make his Suns debut against the Hornets. We've been waiting for this for a few weeks now. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how Kevin Durant really elevates the Suns. Because now, Katie's obviously going to be their number one scoring option. That puts Devin Booker, who's been a pretty good scorer already, as a number two option. So it's going to be interesting to see how teams can adapt to that change having to guard KD and also worry about Devin Booker. You got Chris Ball who's still dropping dimes. I mean, obviously he's getting older, so his production is slowly going down, but he's still producing out there. The Suns are currently the betting favorites in the West. We'll see. Tonight is going to be a preview of really what the Suns are about with KD. So that's really it for the news. In terms of the NBA, uh, they came out with new power rankings. The top four remain the same in order the Bucks, Celtics, Nuggets, and Sixers. The Grizzlies move up one to number five, and the Cavs move down one to number six. The Knicks 
move up one to number seven. They've been playing really good. Again, I talked about him last episode. Jalen Brunson's balling. Josh Hart's been helping out. R.J. Barrett's playing good. Julius Randle's playing good. And the whole team overall is playing good. Happy to see them succeed. Kings are up two spots to number eight. I'm happy for them too. They've been struggling forever. Now they have a pretty good chance of uh, making the playoffs. I believe they're number three in the West right now. And who knows? Maybe they could go on a run. But I don't think it's going to happen. I would love to see it happen. But again, anything's possible in the NBA. Suns are at nine. Clippers move down three spots to number 10. Mavs, they put at 11. The Hawks are up five spots to number 12. Warriors are up two to 13. Once we got to see when Curry comes back. Curry's been dealing with that injury. I mean, I guess they've been playing all right without him. But again, the West is so wide open right now. Literally, adding Curry would be so... Obviously, having Curry on your team is going to be so helpful. But with how the West is right now, this is the time when you really need him, especially in this last stretch of games before the playoffs. The Nets are down two spots to number 14. Then the Heat are down two to number 15. Those are the top 15 teams in the NBA right now, according to the NBA. Uh, one thing we didn't look at last episode was the current MVP odds, which I hadn't really looked at prior to planning out this episode. Looked at them the other day, and I was shocked. The top five are who you think they would be. No unfamiliar names. Number one, Nikola Jokic at minus 310. Minus 310. So it's looking like his third MVP in a row is very likely. The only other players to get three MVPs in a row, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Larry Bird. So if Nikola Jokic can pull that off, that'd be unreal. Especially, I mean, considering the Nuggets, in terms of a team, over the past few years, they haven't, they haven't made it to the Western Conference Finals, I don't think. But they have the MVP three years in a row. Maybe that's a sign that Jokic might need help in Denver. I mean, he's averaging 24.8 points per game, which is 18th. 11.7 rebounds, which is third. 10 assists, fourth. So he's averaging a triple-double. He's shooting 63.3% from the field, which is seventh. So Jokic is, I guess he's really doing it all for Denver. He might, maybe they're one guy away from really competing for a championship. But who knows, maybe this could be the year. Because Jokic is averaging, I believe, almost career highs in all categories. So we'll see come playoff time. And second is Joel Embiid at plus 500. He's averaging 33 points, which is second. 10.4 rebounds, good for ninth. 4.1 assists, which is 52nd, and he's also shooting 53.2% from the field, which is 25th best. Giannis in third, 31.3 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, 53.8% from the field. Tatum in fourth at plus 1,800, 30 points per game, 8.7 rebounds, 4.7 assists, 46% from the field. Then fifth, Luka. Which I think adding Kyrie to the Mavericks hurt Luka's MVP uh, stock, I guess you could call it. 
or cha- MVP chances. He's at plus 2,700 right now. He's leading the league in points with 33.1, 8.8 rebounds, 8 assists, 50.4% from the field. So, yes, adding Kyrie did not help his MVP chances, but it's helping the team's chances of going somewhere overall. So that wraps up for NBA. We'll move on to college basketball. A few things to talk about. Number one, we're 12 days away from Selection Sunday. Again, this year has been crazy in terms of teams moving up and down. There have been many different number one ranked teams this year, which we haven't seen in a while. And the teams that have been number one aren't the ones that we thought would be number one coming into this year. So Selection Sunday is going to be very exciting, which I mean, it's always exciting, but in terms of who gets seated where, we could see a lot of good teams potentially be underdogs in the first round. Uh, John Shire for the Duke Blue Devils, he became the first coach in the ACC to go undefeated at home in his first season. Very impressive from him, considering, I don't know really how many people doubted him coming into this year, but I don't think a lot of people were super confident that he could continue on what Coach K was doing, especially because it's Coach K, arguably the greatest college coach of all time, arguably. I'm not saying he is. You could argue that he is. So he had to fill in big shoes from the start. But Duke, they're 22-8 and right now overall, and they're fourth in the ACC. They're projected to be a seven seed in the tournament. And comparing to Coach K, Coach K went 17 and 13 in his first year and lost in the first round of the NIT. So, that being said, statistically, John Shire is having a better first year than Coach K in terms of coaching Duke. Uh, Let's look at the rankings. Uh, The top five did not change in order Houston, Alabama, Kansas, UCLA, Purdue. Marquette moves up four spots to number six after an impressive string of wins. Baylor moves up two to number seven. Arizona's down one to number eight. I'm thinking that was after that buzzer beater lost to Arizona State. Just heartbreaking. Texas is down one to number nine. Gonzaga's up two to number 10. Kansas State's up three to number 11. Tennessee's down 12 to number, oh no, down one to number 12. Excuse me. Virginia is down seven places to number 13 they went from number six to number 13 that is because they lost to boston boston college who is a below 500 team and they lost to north carolina who is a bubble team right now on the verge of not making it to the tournament uconn is up four spots number 14 and indiana is up two spots number 15 we looked at bracketology last week Uh, espn came out with a new one a little bit of movement between Teams in the four sections. Last four buys, same teams there, Memphis, West Virginia. But Nevada is in there. They moved up from the last four in. And Auburn moved down from the overall bracket to just the last four buys. Last four in, Mississippi State and Wisconsin are still there from last week. And then two teams moving up, Boise State. Or no, not two, two teams moving up. Boise State moved down from the last four buys. Arizona State moved up from the next four out, and I'm thinking that's because of their win over Arizona. First four out, North Carolina, they're still there. 
They won their last three games, including beating number six Virginia, but they have a big game versus Duke on Saturday. It is their last regular season game. It is in Chapel Hill, prime time. I believe it's at 630. Uh, everyone's going to be tuning in. I mean, it's Duke, North Carolina. How could you not tune in? But it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, Oklahoma State moved down from the last four buys. And then Clemson and Michigan round out the first four out group. And then the next four out, Penn State and Texas Tech still there from last week. Utah State and Charleston joined them, both moving down from the first four out. And again, these teams really want to make the tournament. They got to win their last game or games of the year in the regular season and put on an impressive performance in their respective conference tournaments. That's going to be key to getting out of the bubble and into the tournament. So I was talking about Duke and Carolina playing Saturday. We also have two other big games on Saturday. First one at 4 o'clock, Big 12 basketball. Kansas, number three Kansas, at number nine Texas. The Jayhawks of Kansas are on a seven-game winning streak. They uh, started that winning streak with an eight-point win over Texas on February 6th. And Kansas is also 7-3 and three on the road. Texas, on the other hand, they face a lot of adversity this year, especially with Chris Beard and his allegations. Now the court dismisses his case, so he didn't do anything wrong. But again, the school fired him. So going through that was tough. Texas, they're 3-3 three and three in their last six games, but they are 16-1 and one at home. And they do play at number 22 TCU tonight on March 1st which would be a cool game to watch. Uh, yeah, big game between those Big 12 powerhouses right now. Then again, Saturday at 6.30, Duke at North Carolina. Duke already, they're projected as number seven seed in the tournament on a five-game win streak, and they beat Carolina the last time they played on February 4th, but they're three and six on the road. Then Carolina, as we talked about before, they're in the first four out. They're projected to be one of the first four teams out. They have won their last three games, though, and they're 12-2 and at home, and a win here is absolutely huge if they want to make it in to the big dance. And then Saturday at 10 o'clock, we have number eight, Arizona, at number four, UCLA. Arizona's coming off that buzzer beater loss to Arizona State. They're 5-3 and three on the road, but they also won the first matchup at home against UCLA on January 21st. But UCLA, they're hot right now. They've won their last eight games, and they're undefeated at home, 15-0. So I assume the game's going to be in their favor. And then Sunday at 4.30, we have unranked Michigan at number 15, Indiana. Michigan is projecting the first four out. They've won their last three. They're 3-5 three and five on the road. Yeah, Jawan Howard, Coach, and these guys. There's a solid team, but need a win here win here would be huge for them just like carolina and for indiana they're coming off of a huge loss to iowa i would smoke them i was but hot especially after that comeback against michigan state that was pretty impressive but indiana they're three and three in their last six and they beat michigan in michigan on february 11th by one point 
So Michigan is out for revenge in Indiana. And we'll wrap up the episode with that. Thank you to all of you who tuned in for this one. Uh, If you have questions, you know where to hit up. Again, thank you all, and we'll see you next week. All right, I just recorded. I'm sorry, I just finished recording the episode. And I'm looking on Instagram right now, and there's a report out saying that John Morant is being accused in police reports of beating up a 17-year-old boy and pointing a gun on him. That is the report. Very new right now. Um, Initial thoughts on it. Not a great look for you, John Morant. Um, Not a good look for the NBA itself. I think if this turns out to be true, this accusation, John Morant's career has a decent chance of being over. Um, That's all I can really think about right now is, yeah, obviously it's not good for his career, but we do need to wait and see for more stuff to come out to see, in fact, if this is true. And if it is career-threatening to John Morant, that's my thought on that. But again, hope you all have a great day.